I invite you to pray with me this morning. Holy and gracious God, we thank you that um, we can come and gather and continue to hear a word from you. We pray on this All Saints Day you might speak to us anew from the ages of old, that we might be inspired by those who have gone before us to live into the fullness that is the body of Christ. May the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, my God. Amen. Amen. So I know everyone fully anticipated the day that was today, which is a celebratory day. You may have noticed the acolytes changed their color for the first time since June or May. Yeah, I know all of you are really observant. They went from green to white when they walked up, right? Because it's a new liturgical day. It's a new liturgical season. It is All Saints Day. And All Saints Day has actually been around longer than the holiday that we celebrated even more so, which was All Hallows' Eve, or Halloween, that we now celebrate. Um, that's the reason we have All Hall uh, Halloween, is because of this day, when the church has remembered those that have gone before. And I, I don't know about you, but I would imagine that some of us, when we hear the word saints, it gets kind of like... It's just a confusing word. I, I, and I know I say confusing because sometimes people refer to it as everyone. Sometimes people refer to it as specific people. I grew up in a nominally Roman Catholic context and my small town that was there. So saints took on a, a much bigger word than just like everyone around us because when you were confirmed, you had to have a, a patron saint that you would learn about and you would teach people about this saint. And then, you know, at that time in high school, Mother Teresa, you know, was just like going through like the canonization of becoming a saint and they're, they're figuring that process out. And it just seems a little bit foreign to some of us, right? You know, and, and maybe I'm just speaking out, out of turn, but it's, it's like, what is this role? And it especially becomes unique when you travel to a cathedral and you see that a lot of cathedrals a lot oftentimes have like some sort of a saint or Virgin Mary, and then they'll have like candles there. And for us non-Catholic, I'm going to throw us into there, non-Roman Catholic, it's weird, right? You're like, why are we praying to these people? That's the common kind of critique of that. Like what, what's happening here? And I was fully in that camp, like trying to figure out what's happening here, because I thought all along from like an outside in that Christianity was, you know, a monotheistic religion, right? Like we believe in God, even though it was God, like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we didn't have like multiple gods. So it was really confusing to me as like someone from the outside looking in being like, so then why are we like, why are we doing the rosemary to, you know, Mary, and then why are we, you know, lighting candles to the, the saint that happened to be in this town? And, and some of you know, I just came back from a trip to Paris where I was celebrating a wedding, but that, that's all over, right? Like we went into, uh, we didn't get to go into Notre Dame, obviously, because they're rebuilding that and getting ready for the Olympics coming up in the summer. But we did get to go to the other Notre Dame in Reims when we went champagne tasting in Champagne country. Because if you didn't know, there's like another one that's just as magical, right? That's in there. I had no idea. We stumbled upon it and we went in and we saw all of those stations, right? You had the candles, you had the different saints that were kind of part of that area. You even had some relics that they had on display. And, you know, what do we do with that? It's just like 
different context. And I got to go to the Louvre, which is the big museum there, if you didn't know of that name, the glass pyramid. And, and one of my favorite things to do, and you can tell I'm like a pastor and like a history nerd, because uh, one of my favorite things is to see the icons. Do you know what I'm referring to? The icons is like a gold image usually, and then they have like a, a gold crown around the saints. I love those. I love those images of the saints, even though for a long time I didn't really know what to do with saints. And, I'm, and I love the experience of kind of going through the Louvre, going to Notre Dame, and, and having all of these like historical moments. I was like going to, I was like, we got to go to antiquity, right? That's a time when, you know, all of the Roman and Greek, Greek, Greek stuff, because I've studied so much of it. And I just like brought back all the things I've been studying throughout divinity school and undergrad. And, and I love history. And one of the reasons I love history so much isn't because of the like things, but I love it because of the worldview shifts that have taken place. It's fascinating to me to think about how different people lived in the world pre-changes, right, that had taken place. Like one of the things at the Notre Dame is they have the, the pulpit is like literally like, you know, Steve Cordell, wave your hand over there, you know? The pulpit's like there, right? And one of the reasons pulpits were there is because when it was built, it wasn't built that much further, it was right around that transition when pews were first installed into the sanctuary. And so there was a time when like the pastor would just like sit up in the middle and everyone would be kind of like roaming around and doing kind of their thing. And the pastor would be reading the gospel and preaching. And it was only the Eucharistic moment up front that like was the front stage part. And, and just imagine what church would be like and how different it would be for all of us if that was how church was. And for a thousand years, that's how we did church before we changed it with pews. And even if you think about other like frames of thinking, like you think about Plato and like he was, has marks all over some of the antiquity stuff that I was learning. And, and Plato believed this thing that like everything here was not as good as everything out there. So philosophy 101, all of you liberal arts colleges, you know, they say, Plato would say that what is real is not the chair in front of you, it's the chair you imagine in your head. And I'll put this in real terms, as you go to McDonald's, right, and you see the Big Mac that you're ordering, I don't eat at McDonald's, but you see whatever you're ordering, it's got this picture and it looks so good, and then they give it to you, right? And that is just a shadow self of what is actually on the screen, right? Like it looks nothing like that immaculate picture. Plato thought that was like all of life. Everything in this world was that. And so people didn't like, you know, they had less care for the substance and they wanted to go off and end up in the spiritual realm. So one of the greatest achievements of any young man was to die in battle. It wasn't about living long here. Why would I want to do that? I want to go off to glory and I want to go out of this like weighted shadowy world and into the immaterial. Like these little shifts that they change and like, you know, like the way we live and, and are in the world, even in a short amount of time, like someone's lifespan, the world can change, right? We were at the Dorsey, which is an art museum, and we walked through the Impressionist section. And just to watch Monet, have you heard that? To watch his art change throughout the 50 years that he was working. And based on 
all that was going on in the world of around enlightenment and like the pre-industrial revolution. And it just was, you could see that embedded into his art. I think one of the things that has like rocked us is the clock. Imagine what it was like to have time as relative, not time as exact. I mean, think about it. It wasn't until 1500 that there was an invention of a clock, which means that time was always subject to my body's kind of internal, like I sleep and I wake, and then the sun, and when the sun rose and when the sun fell. And so you have the sundials, right? But the sundial will change if you go south, if you go north. And so like when we think of time, we think of it only now, though, as this like A to B. And you have the Apostle Paul in this letter kind of like talking about this like heavenly throne room and like us being brought up and like the communion of saints. And the reason I'm talking about time is because for us, we cannot help but see time as chronology, which is like A to B. Time goes one way, right? But in ancient Greece, when they were writing, there was two concepts of time, both relatively relative. You had the one that was based on the sun, and then you had the other one, which was called kairos. It was called the like, kind of like this like divine time, like a, a realm that was happening here while we're living this life A to B. And I know I'm getting kind of philosophical on us, but that is built in so much into the scripture, this worldview. Like we can't get our minds out of this time situation. And so when we think of praying to the saints, or when I thought of it, I was like, why are we praying to the saints? They're like gods. But then I had a professor kind of tell me for a moment, if Jesus is all in all, follow me just for one second. If Jesus is all in all, that all of time is consumed into this Jesus. And so that means the people that have gone before us are not before us in like the A to B. That means they're partners with us. It's almost as if the theology of sainthood is kind of like built into like you're here and then you move up to this like transcendent level and you're not praying to them, you're talking to them as a brother or sister. You're partners in Christ. And I, I've used this analogy before, but if you go to the Cathedral of Our Lady of the Angels in Los Angeles, and that might be more accessible than going to Paris, but Cathedral of Our Lady of the Angel in Paris, they have lined up all along the tapestry facing the Eucharistic table. Saints and people that have gone before. Because they aren't people that are before us. They're people that are with us. And they teach us through their lives how to live. And even though life is different than pre-clock or all of this worldview changes that I'm so fascinated with, there's still so much that's the same. Like, people are still people. And that was what's so fascinating as I've studied people from the past, is to know that some of the challenges and some of the things that they worked through are stuff that we're going through 
now. And so the saints are, aren't really these people that have like done these magical things or have gone before, but they're people that lived a life of faithfulness that can teach us how to live now. And, and that, so that's a theology 101. Whew, stay with me. Thank you for that. But like how we participate in saints. And so I, I learned that even though I'm, I don't have that in my tradition of like canonization or any of that, that the value of, oh, maybe they can be people that can guide us. In the United Methodist Church, we don't have like a particular, like you have to go through A, B, and C to become a saint. We believe in the priesthood of all believers and that sainthood is the, are the people that have go before us to lead us in, we're going to find out who's the, who's the culprit, uh, going to lead us in our path of faithfulness. We figured it out. It is a, what is it? Do you see it? Okay. Um, sorry. It's the benefit of being right by the parking lot. Where was I? They lead us in faithfulness. Goals for next year. We have charge conference coming up. Charge conference is our annual gathering when we gather together. And one of my goals is intergenerational ministries for us as a church. And I believe that because I think that we have so much to learn from one another, young to old, old to young. And I have a privilege as a pastor to be able to step into stories of people that share their lives. And given that I'm on the, well, I don't feel like I'm young anymore, but everyone always tells me I'm young for a pastor. And so given when I like go and talk to different people, I hear stories from all sorts of different generations. I remember when I first moved to Hawaii, uh, his name was Bob and he lived in my neighborhood. He would walk down my street and like hand us some tomatoes that he was growing in his garden. And we were just talking story. And he, he told me about that time when he was, went fishing down by Diamond Head. And he was walking down to Diamond Head to go fishing on December 7th, 1941. And saw the planes coming in. And just the experience and, and having him share that story about it was just so, I mean, I was like, you saw that? Like, what was it like? What was that moment? And just to hear from him this story, I mean, to be able to like transcend where I am to a story from someone else. Or our beloved Natalie Oda, who would share all sorts of stories. Natalie was one of our patron saints of Kailua United Methodist Church, who passed away a few years ago, who tells a story about her time in New England and how during she weathered a storm where the roof collapsed and she almost died and how she's always been afraid of thunder since. And so I, whenever I hear a thunderstorm, I can't help but think of Natalie, even though we don't hear of them very often. But these stories, they stick with you. One of my favorite ministry events that I've had in the church has been a time at my first church that I was serving. It was in uh, outside of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. It was a smaller church, and we watched a movie together. And I intentionally brought together some of our Kapuna and some of our youth, and we watched the movie called The Fog of War. It's a, it's a documentary. It's super fascinating. There's this general that uh, led in the war, and he kind of like reflects on that time period. But one of the things is that he reflects on how it wasn't so like black and white, like easy decisions, that there was wrong decisions, complex decisions, like all sorts of things that were happening, hence the term fog of war. And it was really good because 
the kapuna that remember living through that or even fighting in that war, as well as the youth who are studying it in school. And they got to learn from one another their perspectives. World, the world has changed in many ways. I remember one time something strange happened at my house. My mom went into the basement where our computer was, but she like took the telephone cord from upstairs and like got a really long one and brought it down and connected it to the computer downstairs. And she was a travel agent at the time, and she said she was going to work from there. And I was kind of confused because she always went to the office to work, right? Like she's going to the office, and she said, "Yeah, they have this new thing called the internet, right?" And so she dialed in there, and we just thought it was this weird work thing, right? And now my kids can't help but you know go a minute without looking something up, right? They want to know something, and what do they do? They just go to Google and they just type it in on a wipe that on their tablet or something, and they find out more about the the Greco-Roman stuff and or whatever it is that they're interested in. And I, do you get the, and the worldview shift that has just happened with the internet or the iPhone is massive. And sometimes it feels so different for us. Either we look up for people that are older or we look down to the people that are younger and we look, oh my gosh, we're so separated. But we have so much that we can benefit from one another by interacting with each other. And if you are of the older age, you might think to yourself, well, youth and young people don't want to hang out with me. And you can be further from the truth. In fact, I think that many of our youth, especially at our church, want old people in their lives because their, their grandparents are oftentimes mainland or separated, right? And it's a gift if you can have intergenerational family in one place. We need each other. And we need the stories of old to guide us into the future. The saints of our past here, the saints that have gone before us, teach us how to live now. And the goal of all of it is that we might not just forget mistakes or achievements, but that we build on them. And that we use one another in this thing that Jesus calls the body of Christ. In another contemporary letter to Ephesians, Paul says, the hand cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. The young cannot say to the old, I don't need you. The old cannot say to the young, you have so much to learn. We need one another in the body to teach one another to walk in the footsteps. And we need the saints that have gone before us and taught us how to love God, and most importantly, how to love one another. And although the worldviews have changed from the time of Plato to the internet, we're still common in our humanity. We still have pain. We still have suffering. We still have heartache and joy and celebration. We still have ways in which we can live together uniquely and also corporately. Let us live into the saints 
Let us learn from one another. Look to your left and see a saint. Look to your right and see a saint. And later in this service, we'll remember the saints that have gone before us who inspire us to live day in and day out. Because although the world seems chaotic, God makes beautiful things out of all of our lives. God makes beautiful things out of the lives of the saints. God makes beautiful things out of our lives. And so I'm going to close with a prayer, and I'm going to invite our praise team forward, and they're going to lead us in a song, one of my favorite songs, I think especially for thinking about those that have gone before us, that have passed, and all the chaos that's been going on from Gaza to Maine to Ukraine. And we might look at the rubble, so to speak, and pray for God to make something beautiful out of it. And look to those that have died that God might make something beautiful. And so it'll lead us in this song, Beautiful Things, and then I'll lead us in a prayer for the people um, during that time. And then we'll, this will be our time of response and our time of prayer. So I'll let them lead us.